There's a young girl named Charlotte Simmons. She's the valedictorian, overachiever of her high school. Um, Think of the girl down the street at Mountain Brook High School or Homewood High School. A girl that you know. She's a good girl from a good family with a solid foundation. And she goes off to an Ivy League school. She goes there and has this mantra in her mind in the back of her head that she keeps telling herself, I am Charlotte Simmons. I am Charlotte Simmons. Helps to ground her, helps to remind her where she's from, where she's going, why she's in school, what she's about. She begins to lose herself within a week of going off to college in just the the life of the campus. The pool is very strong where she is to be involved socially in all sorts of things. She gets into the party scene, gets into the fraternity scene, and begins to adopt the same kind of mentality and approach to life as those around her. Very soon, her internal voice, that constant refrain, I am Charlotte Simmons, I am Charlotte Simmons, starts to fade. She starts to lose that guiding compass that she had internally. She desperately needs a voice to remind her who she is, what she's about. She finds herself lost in a sea of the campus life. That's from a novel by Tom Wolfe called I Am Charlotte Simmons. It could happen to anybody. It could be any of us. It could be any of your kids, somebody you know. And in some ways, it reminds me a little bit of the prodigal son's story. If you're familiar with that, I'd encourage you to go read that. It's in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells a story. There's a son who goes off and a son that stays home with his dad. And, you know, the Charlotte Simmons story is very much like that. The the child that goes off and finds finds themselves in a predicament and a situation they never imagined they would be in. Uh, going off thinking they're finding freedom, thinking they're going to find themselves, to express themselves, only to be caught up, awash, engulfed in a different kind of story. Yet, unlike the prodigal son story that Jesus tells, there's no father running out to rescue Charlotte Simmons. There's no party being had for her great return. She's adrift. And I think that's a perfect example for you and me of what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 3. He's talking about how sometimes our supposed desire for freedom, whatever we're clinging to, whatever we go to for significance, for a sense of purpose, identity, it can so easily become a prison to us. It can so easily enshackle us, ensnare us, just like it engulfed Charlotte Simmons on on the college campus. You know, whether you're coming from a very um, a church background that that prizes a sense of um, modesty, a sense of, um, you know, there, there's a way to do life, a way life works best. Or, or if you're pushing against that and going, you know, I'm YOLO, you know, you only live once. Let's do this, you know, or that kind of you do you kind of mentality like just be who you are man just be who you are and explore and express yourself either way you're going to run up against a sense of breaking the boundaries you know i spoke to a young woman this week who grew up in the church she's very familiar with uh scripture 
and yet she found herself pursuing an adulterous relationship. And it, she, had, she had gotten so sucked in and pulled in that she had forgotten that adultery was actually wrong. And she said to me, I had no idea this would hurt my husband so much. And you think, how did she get there? How did she get there? She, she, she had begun to construe a new law of how life was going to work. She said, you know, the law I grew up with, it felt so restrictive. And, and, and so many people re- react to that. They swing the other way and go, freedom is found in doing whatever you want. It's, it, it's, found, it's found in a new law. People pursue a new law. We see, whether we seek to live according to our Heavenly Father's rules or the rules that we have set up arbitrarily that work that we think will work in our own life, in both cases, you can find yourself imprisoned, enshackled, ensnared, led down a road that you had no idea um, and no intention of going down. That's not freedom. That's like the Chinese finger trap where you go, oh, this, you know, this looks like a good idea. And you put your fingers in and you start talking and you can't get out. You know, it just suctions to your fingers and you're stuck. So whether you're doing you do you or living according to the prescriptive um, behavior modification code of your community, there's probably going to be some pressure on us, a pressure to get it right, a pressure to... Uh, to be a hammer in search of a nail. And you see this on social media flaring up all over the place. The, the extreme on both the right and the left, socially and politically, um, outraged over certain behaviors. And the self-righteous finger wag starts to move on the Internet screen. And you start thinking, man, there's this tyranny that's over all of us. We're all ensnared, all enshackled. That's part of what the argument of Paul and Galatians is, is that apart from Christ, there is no freedom. Because all of our hearts, we, we are built to seek out meaning, to seek out freedom. And we're finding pseudo-salvations everywhere. Cheap, cheap substitutes. False imitations of the real thing. Might be career advancement and opportunity. Might be raising your kids the right way. It might be financial security. Might be just having fun. Might be being a good person being grounded or trying to measure up to some ideal that you have in your head or an ideal that has been given to you by your family of origin. It's in times like that that I turn to the great theologian of our day, Miley Cyrus. (laughs) She did have a very enlightened moment in an interview last year. Um, She confessed this. She said, people get more famous so that they can make their brand more famous, so that they can sell more, so that they can make more money. It's a never-ending cycle. Getting more money, having more hits, being the lead in the movies. Those things might stimulate you, but they don't make you happy. I've experienced it all already, and I'm telling you firsthand, it doesn't. She knows what the, the emptiness of many people in Hollywood is. She knows the, the, the kind of life Charlotte Simmons got caught up in, where she started to lose track of who she was, her own identity, her own sense of meaning and purpose, getting swept away into the void. And it's in those moments when we can, when, when we can hear from Paul reminding us here that it's, 
It's not because of the law. The law enslaves and imprisons. It's that we realize in the recesses of our own hearts, we have this problem called sin. That's why we talk about it here at the Advent, because it's in the Bible. It's a biblical principle that we're all curved in on ourselves, in a sense. Or as Charlie Brown said it in Peanuts, sometimes I feel like my soul is full of weeds. No matter what you're pursuing, if you're pursuing the good life or you're pursuing to be a good person, all of us, when we come to worship like we just did this evening, and Matt led us, and we heard the law of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the only response, people made God's image, which is every person, every human on this planet, the only response is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Because all of our hearts are full of weeds. We're always looking to make a law unto itself. Uh, we're trying to erect a new way, a new monument to, um, to present ourselves as being better than we are. And the law reminds us it just beats us down. In fact, that's what Martin Luther, the great reformer, said about the law. It's, it's, it's the, the law is the axe that cuts down our self-righteousness, cuts down our, our sense of um, self-reliance on ourselves. And um, this is what we find Paul doing this all over the place in his writings. Um, in Romans 7, you know, he talks about the things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And his response as well was, Lord, have mercy. Um, uh, that's, so whether, whether you're under God's law or under a law of your own making, no matter how hard you try and you try and you try, all of us wind up in this place. And so the question is, is Paul offering us here good advice? Or is he offering us good news? I definitely think it's good news. It's not just advice. It's not just, here's a recipe. Here's a way that makes life work. Here's, um, here's your best life now. It's not that. It's here's the good news. Because the reality is all of us, you came in here and you, you're dwelling in a story right now. You're either dwelling in the story of Moses, of the Old Testament, of, of the first Adam, or you're dwelling in the story of Jesus, of the New Testament, of grace, living in light of the second Adam. Because st- sin is clinging to all of us like static electricity. Earlier in chapter 3 um, of Galatians, Paul is saying this. He says in verse 10, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Whether that's God's law or your own law that you made up, if this is how life should work, if you're depending on that for your own righteousness, you're under a curse, it says. And the law, the way God set it up, it was to, it was to point to something. It was to point to faith, to point to a deeper trust of God. That's why in our passage in Galatians 3, it starts off there in verse 23, you know, before faith came. We were held captive under the law. And then he says, until the coming faith. It was pointing, it was forward pointing to this, to, this, to this age of living in faith. And then verse 24, we discover what that faith is. Until Christ came. Until Christ came. We were enshackled, we were ensnared. And Paul's warning the Galatians, hey, you've, you've begun to trust Christ. Why are you going back to following the Old Testament code? Why are, you going, why are you trusting in circumcision? Why are you making the Gentiles follow the Jewish customs? That's not the gospel. It's not Jesus plus. 
It's simply Jesus and what He has done for you. Now that faith has come, Paul just in rapid fire, verses 25 through 29, I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of what the gospel is to you and me. Hear this. In Christ Jesus, you are sons and daughters of God through, the, through faith, not through the law. You are baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You're free from the law in Christ. You're free from the law of your own making. You're free from the law of God. You are free from bondage. You are free from penalty. You're free from striving. You've been set free. And we're free because of what Paul says early, before this, in this pericope, this little passage we have before us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Christ took on Himself the curse of what it means to follow the law. And He followed the law perfectly. He perfectly upheld the law, unlike any human being has ever been able to do. And so it's only Christ who gives us true freedom. He is our Christus victor, is what theologians call it. Christ our victor. Christ our champion. Christ who has won us our freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He was ransomed for you and for me. It came at a cost. And he bought us. He bought us the thing that we're always striving for, the things we're looking for, our identity, a sense of inclusion, and an inheritance. We see all that here, identity, inclusion, and inheritance. Because only, only Christ provides us the voice from outside ourselves that's not of our own making and our own choosing. And it happens at baptism. He talks about baptism. You were baptized, in verse 27, into Christ, have put on Christ. That's why baptism is such a beautiful sacrament in the Christian church. Is It is completely passive. Oftentimes it is infants and young people being baptized. It's also beautiful when it's adults, but it's your, even as an adult, you're passive. Water's being poured over you. It's being sprinkled onto you. It's grace coming to you. It's God pursuing you. It's not you reaching out for God. It's Him coming for you. You have a new identity because you have a new, um, a new wardrobe. You're putting on Christ's righteousness. Put on Christ. Wear Christ. Don't wear the old garment of the old Adam. We're Christ. You have a status change. He calls us sons of God in verse 26. Sons are the ones who, who receive the inheritance. They're the ones who are included in the will. That's what you and I are. We're not, uh, we're not slaves to God, but we are, we are adopted sons and daughters, receiving all the rights and merits of Christ's own deserving. And so God goes from being a righteous judge condemning us under the law to a loving father. This is new creation breaking in. That's why it's good news. It's gospel. It's for you and for me, and it's for people that don't know that this is true. It's for people in your own life who need to hear this word, that you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God's promise was, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. 
And you're free now in Christ to live in gratitude to the one who loved you and pursued you to this depth. So to finish, to close, I just want to encourage you to allow the law, allow your own failure, your own futility, your sense of inadequacy, the perceived ups and downs of your life to be a mirror that brings you back over and over and over again to the simple truth. I need saving. Christ Jesus is my victor. He's my champion. Christ has purchased me. Because in Jesus, you have a new identity. You're included in his kingdom and you inherit all the riches of God's grace. And that's good news. Thanks be to God.